For all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass, this podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. Family, we back again. How y'all doing? Princeton Parker here. You already know that I am thankful to God for life and love, and I am thankful to you for listening. Wow. This series has been amazing for me. It's something I've wanted to do for a minute and to now see it live and to be at the end of it is kind of sad, but to see it live is so cool. And I have enjoyed richly personally these conversations getting to have them and so i hope that you've enjoyed listening to them as much as i've enjoyed going on the journey to have them Uh, we're at the last episode in this series of black women who build we started off talking about teaching as an act of social justice with professor roseboro i kicked it off in episode two talking about secure the bag own the bag with emily roundtree who is just killing the game as an entrepreneur uh, and just building vision in this current culture and current space. And then we got a chance to hang out with Keandra Jackson, who is taking the media landscape by storm as one of America's rising and emerging voices uh, and expert voices on mental health and on self-care and and on relationships. And, and she just unpacked some things that were super cool. And so I was looking at all these things, right? And, and I thought about how these episodes were so much about achievement, right? You hear a Professor Roseboro and she's talking about, I mean, just her long litany of research and achievement. And you're listening to Emily and just at her young age, just having clients like uh, like Netflix being featured in in Forbes. You know, you're just looking at these what seem to be larger than life narratives that, that are amazing and are important for representation and for discussion. I felt challenged though, to make sure that, This series didn't just come across as like, hey, here is this exaltation of the superwoman trope that we already kind of lift up and throw onto the backs of the black women in our lives and in our community. Right. Like you don't feel pain. You're totally fine. You can take a lot. You're strong soul, sister, soul, sister. And and kind of only highlighting we we are either they're either in our narratives completely invisible or we have the tendency to treat black women as hyper visible, but for only one of two things, right? You're only hyper visible for how much you can take or for your labor or for your achievements or hyper visible because of your bodies, right? And there's no sort of existing in the in-between, right? There's no sort of existing or attention to the holistic narrative of what does it mean to just be human, 
to be a human being with thoughts and feelings and interpretations and and a range of emotions, right? To have, yes, to have this amazing potential and yes, to have this magic, but to also have limits and to also have the need to be seen and, and valued and understood and, and whatever that might be. And, and how do we center that in these conversations? And so that's kind of the shift that we were taking last week in talking to Miss Keandra Jackson is how do we start to address the person, not the trope, not what we get from black women, not, but, but how do we address the people, the, the, the women, not what they do. Right. And so that's kind of where we started. And and I want to take this to another level. I begin to ask a question, right? Like I asked this question of myself, like, where do, where do preachers go to heal is a question I've asked myself a lot. But I asked this question about the subject of our discussion in this series is where do black women go to have a safe space? Where do black women go to to just be human, for lack of a better word? And I knew I wanted to end there. Like, let's talk about humanity, not what you do or who you are, what we can get. But let's let's talk about humanity. And hopefully that will end this series on a different note. So I was struggling with this question and. I've listened to a lot of the voices around me. I have a, a number of of great, incredible women who either listen to and study their work from afar to shape my understanding, or I get to do community and relationship with them. And I'd heard some different stories from from them about what they wanted and what they desired and what they were consistently looking for and some things that I've kind of tried to sit back and observe. But I was listening to this interview And I have never heard it put so succinctly and so powerfully, and yet it be so relevant and so real, but so moving and compassionate and just well put. Dr. Frank Thomas, who is the chair of the uh, PhD in preaching program, one of the first of its kind, the PhD in African-American preaching, the first of its kind, he does a series of interviews with incredible, notable, history-making Black preachers. And he sat down with someone who is now a shero of mine, Dr. Claudette Copeland. He asked her a question about how she had survived some of the most traumatic events of her life and how through all of them, she maintained not just her faith in God, but she maintained her call to the ministry. And her answer inspired this episode. Check this out. You've been very open about pain in your life and so talk to us about how you have come to be victorious particularly in terms of how you cared for yourself in the midst of some of that I have been marvelously blessed by women's friendship I've had good brothers brothers who in their own ways have loved me and affirmed me and opened doors for me but it was the friendship of women It was my now probably 30-year relationship. Elaine Flake, Renita Weems, Jessica Ingram, Joanne Browning, myself, Cynthia Hale. Those, it was a posse of six. And through the years, the dyads and triads in, in our, in our relationship, have been one of the most valuable places of self-care. Good women friendships that allow me to tell the truth, 
and never look at me differently, that allow me to come from behind the preaching mask. I never had to be great with them, never had to be in performance mode, but their friendship, their love, their correction, their rebuke, their unwillingness to let me go has been, it has been salvific in this journey in ministry, in, in the midst of our worst times, in the midst of our most embarrassing times, in the times when our business was all over the country, they were the refuge whereunto I have run. Your listeners will remember the book, The Red Tent. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, and I can't even remember the author, but they were, they have been the red tent over my life. The, the place whereunto we have retreated time and time again, where our, our, our bleeding was staunched and where our tears were dried. And it was not just their friendship, but it was also the intentional schedule for 20 years, for 20 years, every January, we went away somewhere for a week, the six of us. This year you got to choose, next year I got to choose. Some, some years we let other women come, invited other women in, and other, next year we said we'll never invite her again. But <laughs> it was always the place where we could go and, and play. Not just talk about deep stuff, but to play and to swim and to have a margarita and all that stuff. It was the place of women's friendship that kept me from smoking blunts and drinking Hennessy at night. The <laughs> place that kept me in the hard times of my life from cooking grits and putting lye in it and throwing it on my husband. All of that. All of that. Self-care was, was given permission by the friendship of those women in my life and a few others that, that chose to love me beyond what I could offer. Wow. Did y'all hear that? They chose to love me beyond what I could offer. I think that last statement sort of enraptures the sentiment of the entire clip is that in the secluded corners of the sanctuary of women's friendship, of sisterhood, as we'll call it for this episode. There was a safety that here I am loved, not for what I can offer. I am loved because I stand in the same sacred space with other people who share my experience, who can help me bear that experience, who can help me live in that experience, who can help me detach from that experience through play and through pleasure. And it doesn't matter who I am from what I do or from the positions that I hold or what I can offer. It just matters that I exist and I exist in the space of those who truly understand me. I, I will forever hold up that clip is one of the most defining moments in my understanding because I think it, it says two things, right? It says, should we be looking at if you are on Dr. Copeland's end of the experience, if this is your lived experience as a woman, to what extent have you either found this or should you look to nurture this from a sisterhood perspective? But for those of us who look to assist, right? I think I was most moved when she said, hey, I've had some dope men in my life. They, you know, they fought for me. They opened doors. They protected. Fantastic. 
But I think those men probably thought they were doing something by like, you know, giving her a platform. But no, if you really want to do something, allow me space and not just space to do what I'm called to do in that. No, no, no. Space to be amongst people who are like me. How many of us are avid sowers into those spaces, into those community spaces so that the people who are around us can be in community with people who are like them? Sisterhood. Are you sowing into sisterhood? Are we as a community sowing into sisterhood? I was so moved. I recommend you go check out that entire interview. Dr. Frank Thomas interviews Dr. Claudette Copeland, C-L-A-U-D-E-T-T-E Copeland on preaching. The whole interview will change your life, but that part is my favorite. So I was like, that's it. We have to end this series talking about sisterhood. And I said, who do I have that can talk about it? And there's somebody who is tremendously amazing, <laughs> who is in my life, who I love, who reached out to, and she was so kind and was like, brother, which is what I, you'll hear her call me that. And they, brother, I love when she calls me that. And she was so excited and willing and open to do it. And so I want to take you to that interview. I wanted to bring somebody in who was a voice, who was an expert, a representation of what is possible in the work and understanding uh, around sisterhood. And when I reached out, she was just so excited. She was just like, brother. I love when she calls me brother. She's like, brother. And she was more than happy to jump in. And so I want to take you into that interview. We're going to talk about sisterhood, or as Dr. Claudia Copeland would say, women's friendship, sisterhood as a healing space for black women. Let's listen. Family, welcome to Building Without a Blueprint. This is your host, Princeton Parker, and I am so ecstatic to have somebody incredibly special. I couldn't think of a more inspiring person to have this conversation with that we're gonna have today. Uh, then the one and only Miss Sonia Jackson Miles, who is here with me, author extraordinaire, somebody who is a leader and champion uh, for the sisterhood and the power of sisterhood and community and relationships in the black community and in the world at large. Somebody who has been an incredible thought leader, an entrepreneur, somebody who is a, a dream walker, a builder, somebody who's definitely built without a blueprint and continues to do so. I'm so happy to have with me the one and only Miss Sonia Jackson Miles. Hello. Wow. You're biased because you love me. That's awesome. <laughs> I certainly, that is awesome. <laughs> I certainly am. I am. I am. Uh, there is there is just no way to fully describe how much I love you and am appreciative to have you in my life. So the feeling is mutual and it's an honor to be here with you today. Love it. Love it. Love it. I want to start here. Would you tell us you, you are the, well, before we get into the sister court, let's start here in your own words. How would you describe who is Sonia Jackson Miles? I am the servant of love. I have, it was purposed. It was placed in me as I was formed in my mother's womb. And now I have decided to walk in my purpose and really serve with love. Wow. When did that purpose <laughs> become clear? When did that purpose for you the, to say, hey, you know what? This is 
what I'm here on earth for is to be a servant and I'm going to go fully, fully into that. Well, it's interesting because it seemed to me as I sit still and, and really meditate on my journey and really think about what I have actually done to actually bring my dreams and, and walk in, in, in purpose. It was like, it was a sprinkling. It was, it was a, a little, like, you know, you, you leave breadcrumbs, you know, sure. um, there were just these little things along the way that I started paying attention to. And a lot of it started even when I, you know, was young, very young and talking to my mother as a kindergartner and saying, Hey mom, you know, you have to show people what you can do. And she's looking at me like, this girl is like four or five years old. What is she talking about? Right. And so I think I began to serve when I started my college career at Florida A&M University. As I began my career, once I left Florida A&M University and started with Ford Motor Company, I, I started to see a pattern of the things that I was naturally doing. It's like it's just in me. And so I started to embrace it and understand its impact on others based on listening to what they were saying to me. And as I continued to walk in it and saw the impact that I was having, success begets success. And so I wanted to make sure that I was doing what I was indeed created and called to do. And I decided to be obedient as scared as I was because brother I was really really scared hmm. to focus on these dreams full time it was really my my desire to do what God was asking me to do it was to be obedient to to his calling you said something that was very powerful from a uh, purpose standpoint which was it was revealed by you submitting to the ways that you could help others around you. They were presenting questions and they were presenting mm -hmm. what they were struggling with. What were mm -hmm. some of those things that people were coming to you? I know what those things might be today where literally everywhere you mm -hmm. turn, somebody struggling with kind of one of the same four issues. Mm -hmm. But as you were uncovering your purpose, what were those things that people were asking you or saying, this is the weight that's on my life? There were two big areas. One was how to truly embrace and love themselves. And the other one was their relationships with others. They were really struggling with it. And I always found myself being a mediator, bringing people together and, and really speaking life into people. And so, you know, there's this, there's this saying that I have. When people leave you, when they leave your presence, do they have a headache and they need to go lay down or are they energized? Are they excited? <laughs> are they excited about life? You know, are they ready to, you know, just go and make some things happen? And I realized that it was a gift. And because I had to go on a journey of self-love, I was quite insecure about my size growing up. I was like 85 pounds soaking wet, war <laughs> hmm. size zero, and was always called bony and skinny and, you know, all these negative things. And so it, 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 I allowed it to seep into my spirit and soul. And so I had to 
I had to purge those things so that I could really see that I was fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You know, hey, he doesn't make any mistakes. Where am I tripping about? Hmm. And so once I got on this journey of truly loving the skin that I was in, I could then help other people with the things that I was using to to get myself together. The other piece for me that was that really stood out was a lot of women were having issues with other women. (laughs) I had a mentee from every continent with the exception of Antarctica. Wow. And my my female mentees were coming to me with very different concerns than my male mentees. My male mentees would say, hey, Sonia, I've got this amazing business idea. I want you to help me flesh it out. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that around the business. And my female mentees were saying, you know, I'm really struggling with Anne. Or, you know, I don't want to work for Tina. And I kept saying, I'm seeing some patterns here. And because I'm a solutions girl, I'm always, I'm always thinking about, okay, well, what are some potential solutions to, to this issue? And, uh, it, it was clear to me that if women were going to rise to C-suite roles, if women were going to be elected to boards, if women were going to be able to really bring their talents and gifts forward, they couldn't be focused on each other. They had to get to a place where they loved themselves and could extend that love and respect to each other. And that's really how the Sister Accord was born. This is getting good already. Oh, my goodness. So what is the Sister Accord? So the Sister Accord is my global movement to have one billion girls and women learn. And and, then learn is a very important word in this statement. Learn how to love themselves and extend that love to each other. It's a, what I call the and strategy. Got to unravel all of that negative socialization that girls have as they grow up where we're told that we have to compete against each other, that we can't collaborate, that someone has to be better than someone else. Someone can has to be up here and someone has to be down here. And the other piece of it is my sisterhood in the workplace, because we have to unlearn a lot of that negative behavior as we go into our places of work so that we don't bring that toxic behavior into the workplace. One of the things I love that you said about that is that the beginning is unlearning. And I really think that's the beginning of of any process of of healing is after you identify that there are issues within, you have to kind of unlearn whatever you've learned that have that has created those toxic patterns. That's right. Where do those notions come from? Can you unpack a little bit about the context and even maybe some of the history mm-hmm. about where those notions and those ideas are taught to us? Where do we learn them from that allows women as you're communicating it to grow up with these with these presuppositions, these these mantras of, of competition and or of mm-hmm. kind of othering for the purpose of, of finding space and or value. Where do we where do we learn that? Well, it's so funny because we see girls as young as the age of three and four begin to bully. If you can believe that. I said, mm. now, how can you have how can you be a baby and bully? How, you know, bully babies. <laughs> What's up with that? What's up with that, brother? <laughs> and, so, and so 
so I'm like, this is amazing. As I started to study it and pay attention, we oftentimes, our young people are receiving their messages from media. They're socialized a lot of times within our families, which is why I wrote my second book, 51 Ways to Love Your Children, because a lot of that behavior is 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 seen within families. And so they begin to take notice that, oh, okay, if I want someone to do what I say do and, and they don't do it, then I'll hit, you know, or if I see someone making bad comments about someone, then, you know, if I don't decide I don't like them, then I'll do the same thing. Or if you don't, di- if you don't agree with me, you disagree, then as the young folks will tell you now, then you're canceled. Well, you know, what's that? Right? What's that all about? And so we see these things and particularly for girls. And I always give this example in my, in, in many of my speeches and workshops. Who wore it best is probably one of the things that stood out for me as I was studying this that often happens. Well, most of the time happens with magazines or in uh, on social media where they say they'll put two women together who either have the same dress on or they have different dresses and they'll just say, okay, you've got to pick someone. Someone's cuter, someone's thinner, someone's better. Wow. And we don't see that with men. You know, they're not putting two men with the same suit on saying, hey, who wore it best? So we get all of these images and we get all of these things that come to us as as girls that automatically tell us, hey, you're in competition with her. You're in competition with her for the man. You're in competition with her for the job. You're in competition for her for the compliments. You know, so it, it just it, it permeates all aspects of our lives and beings. And I wanted to do something about that. I wanted to address the fact that the the leading cause of of death among teen girls around the world is suicide. Well, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to reverse that, to address that? And so that's why I wanted to have a book that gave people strategies for love and then started with my curriculum that I developed that is now going into school systems across the country so that we can actually give people some skills and some tools to make sure that they reverse a lot of the stuff that they may see or experience in life. Before we get into some of the strategy, we unpacked kind of where those things come from, that they are enforced to us by family history, by history in general, by by media and, and culture. What are some of the ways that those things might show up in the behaviors of women or, or young women? If if somebody was in context and wanting to know or, or deal within themselves, has some of these things that I've been learned or conditioned or socialized by society, have they crept into my way of thinking or into my relationships? What are some of the signs that the ways in which we have not affirmed and, and properly taught and instructed or demonstrated wholeness, what are some of the ways that could creep into relationships and how would I be able to to see that? Mm-hmm. Recognize it. And that is such an important question. You're a genius, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're so brilliant. 
and I often talk about this, it, it kind of just creeps in. It's just, it's the little things that, that happen that before you know it, they become the big things. So it's, it's, it's as simple as I see another woman or I see a, another young lady and I decide I am not smiling at her because she's cute. Hmm. Or I look her up and down because I want to, I'm, I'm checking out, you know, her outfit and whether I like it and whether, you know, she looks too good in it to all the way to just outright bullying and fighting. Hmm. A lot of young people that I work with will, will talk about the anger that comes with feeling less than. And then feeling like they have to take somebody else out. I got to hurt her. I got to, I got to fight her in order to make myself feel better in the workplace, not supporting. So a, a female can be up for a promotion and you have the opportunity and the ability to help get her promoted, say something good about her work and you decide not to. <laughs> So mm-hmm, it permeates mm-hmm. so many areas of our lives, gossiping, backbiting, jealousy and envy, those evil, evil twins that I talk about, that if you're not careful, you can find yourself practicing these things and not even be aware of it. Wow. When you founded the Sister Chord, you talked about mm-hmm. this moment where you decided to full out pursue purpose in this way. What were you doing before? Oh my gosh, I've been so incredibly blessed to have an amazing corporate career. So as I mentioned earlier, I started my career, I studied marketing at Florida A&M, both undergrad and grad school. But when I came out of college, I decided to go into purchasing. So I was a buyer for a living. I used to buy things. I used to spend billions and billions of dollars for companies. And so um, I started at Ford Motor Company in in Detroit, Michigan. And then I moved to the Gillette Company in Boston, Massachusetts. And then Procter & Gamble acquired Gillette. And I led part of the integration of Gillette into Procter & Gamble. It was the largest acquisition in consumer products history. And fortunately, a little girl from Saginaw, Michigan, um, had the opportunity to lead part of that and then create an organization for their media uh, buying. So I was responsible for buying all of the media globally for the largest advertiser in the world, $7 billion at the time. And and then my last role that I had at, at, at Procter & Gamble, I was buying all of the packaging mm-hmm. globally, $6 billion. And spend. So I've been really, really fortunate to work in, in corporate America and have a really successful career spending time developing training programs and really working a lot with minority and women owned businesses and helping them become multi million, multi billion dollar entities. So I, uh, I was very fortunate before I decided to start my entrepreneurial career to have a very successful corporate career. I love that. And I want to pause there because I need to make sure, as my church and me would say, show enough that (laughs) uh, my (laughs) listeners just heard that this queen was controlling and monitoring and in charge of billions of dollars 
in purchasing power for these for these massive brands and companies and that you led that effort with the uh, integration of of Gillette into P&G. I remember the first time you told me that about your last role with packaging, because now one of my favorite (laughs) things to do, and this is like not a joke, I'm so serious. Whenever I go grocery shopping or at Target, I always like find the P&G stuff and I'm like, ah, Miss Sonia Jackson Mouse probably made that package. (laughs) It's it's just like whenever whenever I think about it, I pick up something that has P&G. I'm like, ooh, Miss Sonia did this because she's a boss. That that is amazing. And so you have this this whole vibrant and verbose history. And, And I think the reason why I find that important to highlight is that in these next few moments, we'll unpack kind of that transition and, and how you went from from that into doing this. But mm-hmm. I think it's so important that the message that we send to to people as they're growing up is not this whole idea of that it, it has to be this sort of either or in your life That's right. that you either have to go right. and completely give your life to corporate yeah. America so that you can reach affluence and some sense of status and you never get to do anything <laughs> impactful for the rest of your exactly. life or exactly. you have to only give yourself to what is full-time, not-for-profit purpose work and never get to enjoy life or never get to enjoy some of the other tangible fruits of success and prosperity that come along with it, that you can have this dynamic life. And I think that that truism is especially true for our young women. Can we just pause there? This was even in the original prep work, but can we just pause there and can you <laughs> unpack that? The the Is it possible to to have both in a lifetime, to be purposeful and prosperous? Oh, my gosh. I think it's absolutely necessary. And it's actually part of what I teach with my executive coaching that I do now, you know, because so many people kept telling me it was either or. And I kept saying, no, that's not the God I serve. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, no, he wouldn't give me all this amazing stuff if he didn't want me to pursue it. And so I have uh, intentionally, (laughs) you know, you can call me a rebel with a cause. I have intentionally, and I think it goes back to the fact that I told my mom and dad at at about four or five that you have to show people what you can do. Hmm. I just would not, I could not accept that it had to be either or. See, I was walking in purpose even when I was in corporate America Mm -hmm. because it's who I am. And so those things came very naturally to me. Because it's who I am. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll try to squash it. We'll try to hide it because we don't want people to see all these other aspects of ourselves. But where the the magic really happens, the secret, as people say, you know, I haven't read that book, but the secret to living a fulfilled life is to make sure that you are you are bringing all of yourself your core, the essence of who you are to bear, because the spillover effect that it can have in so many aspects of your life is, I mean, you can't even articulate what it will do for you and for the people that you have been assigned to. And so people kept telling me, don't get pregnant. Hmm. Don't get pregnant early in your career because it's going to shut down your career. Well, get this, brother, just to show you how powerful all of this is and what God did in my life. I was on maternity leave 
And I don't even know if I've ever shared this story publicly, but I was on maternity leave and got promoted. <laughs> I got a <laughs> I got a phone call while I was sitting at home rocking my baby. And and people said to me that I made history there. I don't know if that's true at Ford, but they actually called me while I was on maternity leave wow. to offer a promotion. And so, you know, I have two sons. They're 21 and 22 now. Mm-hmm. And I I had my children early because, you know, I wanted to be successful in, in, in my career, but I wanted a family. Mm-hmm. And people kept telling me that I couldn't have both. And I said, well, watch me. Yeah. You know, so I've just been one of those people all along who just did not buy into all of these boxes and these constraints that people tried to put on me. I just wouldn't I couldn't accept it. So there's this moment in time where you're doing all this purpose work through out these incredible corporations. And mm-hmm. then you decide the sister cord is kind of within you and, and buzzing in, in your heart. Can you just tell us a little bit about the story of of that calling yes. answer, so to speak, if I can if I can dip into some of my theological language? How, how did you yes. discern that? And tell us about the story about how you accepted and said yes. Well, I was asked to speak at an inaugural event for President Obama's first inauguration on Capitol Hill. And I was just like so excited about that and just trying to figure out, well, what what would I say? What do I want to talk about that's in line with this whole theme of change that he was he was talking about as part of his campaign? And I prayed about it, prayed about it, went to sleep one night and saw the sister accord resolution in my dream. Hmm. And I said, what is this? <laughs> wow. And as a result of the sister core resolution coming to me and the young lady who had invited me telling me after I read it to her, she paused. And I often talk about in my speeches, in the absence of information, people make stuff up. And when they make it up, it's typically negative, which is why we have to communicate and tell our stories. And so I'm thinking, Oh, she hates it. Oh, I didn't. I, I should not have even read this to her. And the words that came out of her mouth next, Princeton, really blew me away. She said, and this is before my book and everything. This was just me reading the sister of court resolution that I saw in my dream. And she said, Sonia, after pausing, because she said she just she was so taken aback. She said, this is so beautiful. You will be before kings and queens with this. Wow. And I said, huh? (laughs) I'm just trying to do a great job for you at this event on Capitol Hill. What are you talking about? So I kind of, I heard her, but I just kind of dismissed it, right? And just moved on. And at the event on Capitol Hill, all these men and women and all of these people, because there were people from all around the world there, you know, kept saying, Man, that was so incredibly powerful. What are you going to do with this? And I kept saying, nothing, because <laughs> I like my job. <laughs> I like that money. Uh-huh. I liked all those benefits. You know, I mean, <laughs> there were a lot of really amazing perks for working at Procter & Gamble and other companies that I worked with. So I'm like, no, uh-uh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm going back to that job and I'm going to go sit down. 
And um, there was just this tugging, the government of Tanzania calling, literally. Did you hear what I said? Wow. You are transforming the lives of girls and women in our country. We want you to come and speak. And have, we want to have sister accord. We want to celebrate. And guess what my response was? No. Wow. Because we engage in self-sabotaging behaviors, brother. Wow, wow, wow. When we're afraid. Hmm. I knew that corporate thing. I had studied it. I understood how to be successful in it, all, all of that. But I didn't know about this. This was uncharted water and territory for me. So I said, nah, I'm just going to sit over here. And plus, I don't want my company leaders to think that I'm not focused, I'm not engaged, that I'm not loyal. So I literally said no to an opportunity of a lifetime. Hmm. Tom Joyner Foundation called and said, hey, we have a cruise ship filled with women. We want you to come and speak. And I said no. Wow. <laughs> and those were two tipping points for me where I said, you know, if I am really transforming lives, if I am really changing lives, if I am really making a difference with this, I need to just be obedient, listen to what God has said, and lean on my favorite scripture. Eyes have not seen, Mm -hmm. ears have not heard, and the mind can't even conceive what God has for those (laughs) in store for those who love him. And I said, all right, I'm going to I'm going to try this. You know, the book had come out. It was nominated for an NAACP image award. And I just kept getting so many people talking about how it was transforming their lives and i said i have to focus even for a little bit i just need to establish my foundation my 501c3 and learn how i could monetize it how could i live make a living serving and serving with love and at the time you know i was breadwinner so add that to the equation Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm And so I said, if this thing doesn't work, we're not going to (laughs) eat. We're going to be on the street. (laughs) And God kept saying, I own it all. And don't you believe my promises? Don't Mm. you believe what I have said to you? And that's when I first acknowledged that I was allowing unbelief to kick in. Wow. God kept saying, you're always in church. You're always raising your hands. God is faithful. God is faithful. And if you know me, that's one of my things. Uh-huh. Oh, God is faithful. And God kept saying, Sonia, when are you going to let me show you how faithful I can be? Wow. Because I want to blow your mind, but you won't let me. You keep getting in the way. And so as scared as I was, Princeton, I was so afraid. I said, I'm going to do this thing afraid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I took the money out of my savings and I bet on me. Wow. And I haven't looked back. <laughs> wow. And you bet on you. Uh-huh. I bet on me. I love I that. bet on me. This was my first time hearing about the organizations early on that you said no to that I think is is so powerful because we're all guilty at some point of looking at something yeah. going, hey, you know what? This is great, but I don't know how I see myself doing this. And sometimes right. we'll make it about a whole bunch of other things. We'll make it like, oh, it's not the time That's yet. Right. It, you know, it can't be trusted. It's not real. It's yeah. not ready or whatever that might be. When truly yeah. it is just our own 
disconnect and discord within to not be ready. Mm-hmm. And so I love the the verbiage that you use for that. We self-sabotage. As we talk about mm-hmm. sisterhood, I think people do that even in the context of their relationships with what whether it could be sisters or or friends or whomever. Yeah. I think the question that we're begging asking as we turn towards the, the final leg of our time is what does a healthy sisterhood look like? Yeah. Oh, I love that question because I so often will hear people say, look, my grandmother was messy. My mother was messy. <laughs> they they like drama. They talked about each other. They didn't get along. There's a lot of jealousy and envy. I don't even I don't even believe that it's possible to have a healthy relationship with another female. I mean, I get that. I don't care where I go around the world. I get that. That's why this is a universal problem. You understand? Mm -hmm. This is a universal problem. And so I wanted to give people some strategies and some examples of what it looks like. And so that's why you will see me on my social media talking about and sharing. It's not to boast or brag because we don't do that. We share to inspire But I will share a variety of my relationships and what we do for each other so that other people can be a role model for them. When we say love, love means sacrifice. Sometimes we may not feel like doing a particular thing, but our sister needs us. And so we make sure that we're there for them. Not judging. Oh, my gosh, we judge so much. Well, If I were you, I'd do X, Y, Z, or, you know, I'm judging in this manner or judging in that manner. And it's like, well, you're not them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's stop with all the judgment. And a lot of what I talk about is showing up for your sisters, supporting what they're doing, not just in word, but in action. So actually spending some of your money, you know, money is not easy to come by, but investing in your in your sister. You know, if they have a book, buy the book. And a lot of times we'll do things for celebrities or we'll do things for other people. But when it comes down to our personal relationships, we, we won't do some of those same things. And so I just ask people to open their heart and open their mind and, and listen and and love and be patient and kind and compassionate. And guess what? It's an everyday intentional thing because a lot of the stuff won't come naturally to us if we don't feel well or we might be in a bad mood or what have you. You have to work at it. You have to work at these relationships. You have to work at staying in touch. You know, mm-hmm. I, I travel a lot, as you know. And so sometimes... I'm running and I haven't stayed in touch with with my friends. And so, you know, sometimes I just have to pause and say, you know what? I have to make this call. I'm not going to text. I'm going to call or I'm going to stop by or I'm going to send a card. So it's, it's the little things that oftentimes are really the big things when we think about it. Got it. So what I'm hearing you saying is that the health of sisterhood is more so about kind of our approach to these tiny behaviors that would Mm -hmm. 
keep the quality of of those yeah. relationships. And I think that's important because yeah. maybe we don't have to think of it as in some like major overhaul or mm-hmm. or huge out of the sky solution, but more so about how we approach and the little things that that are done in those relationships. How important is it? Because you mentioned that when people are coming to you saying, hey, I don't have great relationships with other women on my level, you're saying that a lot of that has stemmed from observations of -hmm. of family members and and Mm -hmm. women in the family or even patterns of that relationship with them, like strained or toxic relationships with mom or with sister could affect the relationship that a young woman has with other women going forward. How important is it to heal that relationship between family with, with mom or with blood sister before having other, other peer to peer relationships? Or is it that sometimes that relationship doesn't get healed and that the beauty of sort of the chosen family, so to speak, with other peers that you have kind of replaces that? I'm just interested since you said that so many people mm-hmm. grew up with that problem saying, Hey, I got issues with mom. Or I have issues with grandma. How does that play out or how, how necessary is the healing of that relationship in order for the mm-hmm. success of whole relationships with, with your peers? Well, it's so beautiful. You know, when I get letters and I receive text messages and letters from people telling me how they have used the sister court and men, by the way, I have a lot of men who are part of the sister court family and movement where they say your your strategies and the things that you talk about in your book have helped heal relationships that have been broken in my family and in uh, you know in my life and so i think that in 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 many instances that is possible i will tell you the one thing that is core to the sister core movement and thinking and way of life is that we don't allow people to abuse us We don't allow people to mistreat us. And so this is not about being a shrinking violet and just letting people run over you. And, you know, you say, oh, that's so sweet. It it sounds so sweet. No, this is not about that. Okay, this is about establishing boundaries. Okay, so that you can protect and take care of yourself and ensure that you are surrounding yourself with people who are going to love and support you. And in some instances, you may have to love from a distance. Hmm. You just may, you know, because you can't allow people to keep hurting or harming you. What's important is learning how to forgive. And that was a big, big issue for me. I actually talk about it in my book. Hey, you did something to me and it was on. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And God said, hey, you're not that important that somebody's not going to do anything to you. You're just not that important. So get over yourself. That's ego, right? But the thing that was important for me to understand was learning how to forgive so that I could love, whether it was love up close or love from a distance, so that I wasn't harboring hard feelings or looking for ways to revenge. And so what I share as part of the, the strategy of living this lifestyle of the sister accord is that we understand and we take the time to try to heal. That's very important to try to heal where we can. If there are some situations that are so toxic that you can't heal, 
but you can still forgive and love from a distance, then that is really what's important at the end of the day. But it is this whole process, this movement is about learning how to love yourself and take good care of yourself so that you can serve others with love as well, that you can extend that love and respect to other people. And when you're all discombobulated with all of that negativity, it's very difficult for you to do that. I loved as I was hearing you say that, that it's about kind of re-understanding this notion of forgiveness, that it is not necessarily about withholding accountability and is not always about the oh, restoration yeah. of, of access or somebody's place, but it is more That's so right. about have, have I dealt with the way that this impacted me and my capacity yeah. to love? And then have yeah. I set boundaries accordingly? And so I think that yeah. that's, that's really powerful. And it, it's important as I'm hearing you say that, that we help people understand that, that this idea of loving doesn't become another weight. That, yes. that it should never be something that has yes. kind of this, this weight or this slavery attached yes. to it, that, that it does involve, to your point, I wrote this down that you said it involves sacrifice, but should not in its totality be sacrifice or that it should not That's be right. that, that slavery. So That's right. how does this play out if someone wants sisterhood, but has been betrayed before? How do you pick up the pieces? Let's say I or somebody who's listening was in a situation where they they had a best friend that betrayed them. They had mm-hmm. a blood sister that betrayed them. They had a family member. How does mm-hmm. someone how do you recover to move on to even want or value sisterhood again? Yeah, that's a that's that's a tough one, right? And I've I've dealt with that. I've dealt with I've dealt with everything. <laughs> and you know, I used to ask God, why? Why am I going through all these things? Right. Because I, I experienced a lot at a young age. And so I used to try to, you know, figure out why am I dealing with this? But it was it was all preparing me for what I am doing now. And it's it's painful. I mean, it hurts when you are, you know, you go through a, a difficult, challenging time uh, with a relationship. But. One of the things that was important for me was to understand how to give grace. Okay. Now, let me explain a little further. If someone is doing something or has done something to you and you've ignored a lot of red flags, because we do this. (laughs) I have some exercises that I do in workshop and and people were saying, I was so surprised that Jenny did that to me. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's talk for a minute <laughs> about whether you were really surprised. Have you observed Jenny doing ratchet stuff with other folks? Hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> has Jenny done some ratchet stuff to you? Yes. Okay, so were you really surprised or did you just think that Jenny would not continue to do these things? Hmm. Right. And so a lot of times we don't hold people accountable for their actions. We don't address and have courageous conversations. Okay. And so a lot of times we are surrounding ourselves with people and making excuses for them when we know better. 
Sometimes people just make mistakes. I've made mistakes and Lord, I went and asked for forgiveness and I prayed about it. And I said, I hope they can forgive me because I did not mean to do that. Right. So there might be one off sometimes. Okay. And you have to really do the work on your emotional intelligence and your compassion and all of those things that help you to understand and evaluate effectively what's going on here. And a lot of times what happens is people don't pause long enough to understand what's really going on. If you take the time to unravel and really see, okay, now what happened here? What's going on? Are there patterns? Hmm. Or did this person just make a mistake? That can help you decide how you want to move forward with the relationship. Is it Again, something that you need to end for your own mental well-being and emotional well-being. Or did they just make a mistake and and you should really give some grace? Wow. 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 I love that. I love that. A way to measure trust. And I want to make sure that anybody's listening takes that down. That a way to measure trust is to ask, is this a pattern or is it just a mistake? If it's a pattern, then we need to reset boundaries and adjust accordingly. That's right, brother. If it's a mistake, then we give grace. We have courageous conversations and we figure out how to heal. Yeah. Wow. I think the thing that interested in as we start to wrap up is if somebody is listening and we are building without a blueprint and they say, hey, Mm -hmm. I have wanted this for a long time and it sounds really good the way you're describing it to be celebrated to be in in relationship how do i start where does somebody who is out here go to find a sister like how, where how do you do that in building without a blueprint what are some strategic things that the listeners can do with from the perspective of the how if they have been lacking sisterhood and really want it for this journey in their lives mm-hmm. and that's such an excellent question because A lot of times people will try to force the relationship, you know, force engagement. And we don't want to do that either. You know, we want we want both parties to be amenable, you know, to having a a sisterhood and a friendship. There has to be reciprocity. So I'm like, we don't chase people. You know, um, you can do follow ups because as an entrepreneur now, I have to do a lot of follow ups. And I don't <laughs> oftentimes like that because I don't like how it feels. But, you know, once I get a signal that you're not interested, you ain't down, then mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it moving. But I think what I often talk about is, you know, finding like minded people, whether there are church clubs where you have interests, similar interests, book clubs, sororities. What are some of those like interests and where people are meeting up where you could establish some friendships and then let them happen organically? Now, I I have met some folks and instantly we connected. So it felt like we knew each other forever. But in many in most instances, you have to nurture. That means following up, calling, seeing, go have lunch. Go to the spa together. Some of those little things that you can do to build a relationship and rapport, driving that consistency, right? That's that's what's important is driving that consistency. But I oftentimes will tell people, take a class and then, you know, meet people 
that way, but really looking for like-minded people and then making sure that you are paying attention to what people are saying and what they're not saying. I think actions speak, as, as, as we always say, actions speak louder than words. If people are coming to you and they're gossiping and, and mistreating other people, nine times out of 10, they'll do the same thing to you. And so making sure that you are mindful of what you put out, the energy that you put out, your behaviors, so that you can make sure that you attract like-minded people. Wow. We started this series just celebrating Black women who build, and Miss Sonia Jackson-Miles, you are certainly that. And uh, sister, sisterhood is an amazing topic that I hope will continue. And this has inspired me. I was so moved to do this because in the church space, this is not something yeah. that that we that yeah. we talk about. We we have a hard time just even talking about platonic relationships in general. Yeah, our right. theology and our sermons are are really 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 skewed towards romance yeah. when. We could go into the fact that Jesus' ministry, none of it centered around romance and all of it was about this sort of idea of these really deep platonic yeah. disciple relationships. And so yeah. we're looking at, at this space and, and at sisterhood and wanted to end this series kind of looking at that because the other thing we don't allow for, it seems like we don't allow for the continued humanity of our black women. And I didn't want yeah. this series to fall into that trap of we celebrate and it's important that we celebrate the accomplishments while not limiting black women to accomplishments and to this trope of being the superwoman and not allowing to be fully human. And so we'll close with this. How does sisterhood relate to cover or impact the humanity of black women outside of these achievements that we've been talking about all month? Well, this is so powerful. And I thank you because we need brothers in this conversation. So often people just feel like only women can have this conversation. Kudos to you for really driving and spearheading this conversation. And, you know, oftentimes we'll talk about the fact that we must put the human back in humanity. We are just, I mean, and social media doesn't help with this. You know, we cancel folks, you know, we troll, we bully, you know, there's all these things happening And for me, and especially for Black women who have to overcome a lot of stereotypes, most of which are negative, right? So overcoming that and then just being, you know, and just, and, and, and being able to just be who they were created to be. And so this, this conversation is so important because as we begin to really peel back all of that stuff, all of those layers and and see true, and I'm holding my fingers up and truly see each other mm-hmm. for who we are as human beings, we'll be able to embrace and respect and, and, and carry each other, you know, holding hands and hearts as we move to our next level of excellence, because that is what we're in competition with. We're not in competition with each other. It's that next level of excellence that we must always pursue so that we always focus on what God created us to do. I am so stirred up and I know that our listeners are too. <laughs> I'm going to unpack just two things or a few things that Miss Sonia Jackson Miles has taught me in this conversation that I hope that you were listening to and learning from as well. She was saying that the ways in which unhealthy sister 
relationships manifest, the way that we demonstrate that we have internalized what we have been taught about the idea of internalized competition or othering is that it comes in this way, that we see another woman and choose not to celebrate. The anger that comes from feeling less than another woman and having to hurt this other woman in order to displace that anger. But I think one of the most powerful things Ms. Sonia Jackson Mouse said to us is that you know that those toxic things are at work if we begin every relationship with comparison. So if the first thought at every relationship is how someone else is better or less than, prettier, uglier, more popular, less popular, that's really a sign that we um, have internalized those things. And and I say we because um, to your point, Ms. Sonia Jackson Miles, we have all as a culture bought into this. And so um, maybe I'll unpack in a future episode how men, our dealings contribute to that when we don't unpack that and when we kind of play into that gossiping and jealousy and envy. Miss Sonia Jackson Miles said to us her famous quote, show people what you can do. Uh, don't wait for permission. Don't wait for people to believe it or tell you that they see it in you. You tell them. So you have to see it in yourself first. One of the things she said to us was purpose is who I am. So that means that she found purpose in whatever space she was in, whether she was in corporate America, now being an entrepreneur, being a motivator and author. Purpose is not tied to a specific environment. It is in you, which means that you don't have to choose wherever you are directed or led. That purpose, if it's who you are, is going to come up. I loved this. Ms. Sonia Jackson Miles said, in the absence of information, we make stuff up and it's usually negative. This is why when we're not communicating, we leave room for whatever, whatever the thoughts can be, whatever society says. And so in our relationships, if there's no communication, there's going to be an absence of information, which means that whoever you're in relationship with is just going to make it up. And because we're human, it's going to be the worst. Healthy relationships are defined by sacrifice and reciprocity. They're defined by suspending judgment, allowing space for the sister you're in relationship with to be human, support what your sisters are doing. She was unpacking for us. Don't just ask for a handout because you're a friend or because you're a sister. Support with your money. We judge from the times that we have been hurt by saying, is this a pattern or just a mistake? And then building on the how, find similar interests, find spaces that center women only and see who that you vibe with there and then know that that might be where it sparks, but it will be your follow-up that creates your relationship and that sisterhood is the space where women can just be. My God, Miss Sonia Jackson Miles, <laughs> how can we pour back into you? How can, where can we buy the book? How can we support what you're doing? So thank you so much for, again, for this opportunity to share my story. So I'm on all social media, except Snapchat. My, my, my students are telling me I've got to get on the snap. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'm the sister accord, the S-I-S-T-E-R accord, A-C-C-O-R-D as in dog on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. And we have you, YouTube channel, the sister accord. Uh, where you'll see lots of our really powerful videos. And then I have a Sonia Jackson Miles channel as well, S-O-N-I-A Jackson Miles, M-Y-L-E-S. And then you can get uh, the Sister Accord 51 Ways to Love Your Sister book at thesisteraccord.com. And my new book, 51 Ways to Love Your Children, at Sonia Jackson Miles. Dot com. And so we're really, really very 
excited about what God is continuing to do. And again, with the executive coaching and the coaching that I do with businesses, that's dreamwalkingcourse.com. And so I also have that aspect of my business that I'm focused on as well. Whew, just on the move, Miss Sonia Jackson Mouse. <laughs> we celebrate you. We affirm your your place and and your greatness in the earth. Thank you for who you've been uh, to me personally. We are praying for your continued you. success and that you will continue to be fulfilled and that God would pour back into you what you're pouring through through time and energy and emotional labor and thought. And so thank you so much. And thank you on behalf of all of our listeners uh, for helping us to to see and understand and hopefully pursue and value sisterhood. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And please don't hesitate to reach out. I should have given the email address info at soniajacksonmiles.com. So please feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. Well, family, there you have it. I don't know about you, but I got a lot to chew on for the rest of the day. Uh, (laughs) As I say all the time, remember with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family. How crazy was that fam? I hope you were leaving that feeling encouraged and feeling inspired about the power of sisterhood. If you have a community, if you're blessed enough to have a community of sisters in your life who create that space for you, so into that show appreciation. I mean, if you're wondering how you can, one of the ways that you can continue to sow into the lives of our black women and love them, allow them space to be in this experience of, of true sisterhood. Like, you know, man, y'all are dope, but y'all ain't women. Like you, you just, we're just not. <laughs> so um, we have to continue to, be strategic about those spaces and invest in them and, and, and understand the power and the value of them. So I hope you enjoy that. We had so much fun. Please follow uh, Miss Sonia Jackson Miles at the Sister Accord. They have pop-ups everywhere. They do such a great job of giving strategies and tools and honoring women and doing some of the hard work as well that goes into what she talked about, debunking some of those systems and those thoughts and those things that we are kind of raised with that don't allow for us to invest in community the way we should sometimes. So follow her. Listen, y'all, I just love it. Y'all been doing this and I, it really means so much to me when you text me, when you Instagram me and say, hey, that episode was dope. I was really feeling it. Man, that warms my heart so much. So. Hit me up, hit me up on the gram, hit me up on Facebook. Hey, listen, if you have not followed me on Facebook at Princeton Speaks, I thought Facebook was dead, but, uh, but there's such a vibrant community of people who really love building without a blueprint and, uh, the work that we do from a preaching perspective and, and just from the brand in general on Facebook. So if that's your vibe, if you're still on, no shade, uh, go on to Facebook at Princeton Speaks and we're consistently posting content there. <clears throat> in addition, Email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. That's buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. I want to hear from you about how that has impacted you. So until next time, fam, keep loving life. Keep investing in sisterhood to all the black women who listen to this podcast. Thank you for existing. Thank you for your labor. Thank you for your yes to continue to exist in this society, in this culture that has in many senses not fulfilled the call of God to love you adequately. And and may we forever have a heart that is anchored towards doing what we should. May we forever have a heart that is anchored towards listening, towards learning from you and towards figuring out what do we need to do to honor 
you in the way that you should. And this means a lot to me because I would not be who or where I am today without the investment consistently time and time again in the care of black women. And so I and we as a culture, as a nation, as a body of men are in debt. And we got to figure out how God will give us the grace. And we have to invest the preparation and listening to figure out how we can repay that debt with just honest and whole love. And may we all grow to be able to do that. So hope you enjoyed the series. I had a great time. Follow all four of these incredible women, honor the women in your life, and let's learn how to love each other because that is what Building Without a Blueprint is all about. Shout out to my mom, Dr. Simone Star Parker. Shout out to my grandmother, Mary Starr. Shout out to my aunt, cancer survivor, Auntie Sherry, Sherry Smith. Shout out to all of the women. Shout out to Pastor Jerry Patterson, who uh, is the pastor uh, of our church at Crusade Christian Faith Center. Shout out to you. I could be calling names for years, but I'll start with just those. Uh, If you're in my life, you know who you are and that I love you. So blessings to you with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation. Keep building family.